4: Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on Talk Sport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game, including the Women's Super League. Clean off the line by Steph Horton. The UEFA Women's Champions League and the Euro 2021 qualifiers.
5: Lana Clellan striking from outside the penalty area.
4: World beating, big match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scored. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others
0: on Talksport 2. Welcome to Women's Football Weekly. We have another packed show in store for you today. Now, after a sickening clash of heads in the Premier League fixture between Arsenal and Wolves and new research on the greater risk of dementia for women's players, is it time to rethink concussion protocols and head injuries?
1: I hope that this incident makes people stand up and realize because you can't keep Having the same perception of certain types of challenges and dealing with these types of challenges in the same way when people's immediate health is in danger.
0: Lucy Bronze has been nominated for yet another Global Football Award and she's teaching the young players in the England camp a thing or two.
6: That's what I'm there to do is, is to show people that it's possible. And I mean, there's players on this team got more talent than I have. So why can't you do that and, and be that leading forward and be the best player in the world?
0: We'll also be hearing from Manchester City and England goalkeeper Ellie Roebuck about her teammates and footballing idols. Peter
5: Schmeichel, I remember seeing Peter Schmeichel at St George's Park and I was just, you know, someone kind of has an aura about him and I've never really felt like that before. But I seen him and I was like, it really like took me back and I don't get that around many people, so definitely him.
0: All that, plus we'll chat about the rest of the goings-on in the world of women's football. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Others. Hi, I'm Jordan Nobbs, and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly
7: on TalkSport2.
0: Hello, hello. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport2. I am Faye Carruthers, and... As every week, I have a fantastic superstar guest for you. This week, it's Siobhan Chamberlain, former England, Chelsea, Bristol Academy, Liverpool and Manchester United goalkeeper. Maybe I've missed some. Have I missed any, Siobhan? I think you make me sound like I've
7: got more clubs than Tiger Woods with with that list, but there probably were a few missed off
0: as well. (laughs) (laughs) You can fill them in. You can fill them in. So good to have you with us. It's been a long time. We've been trying to get you on for, for quite a while. I suspect you've been busy with your little one.
7: Yeah, very busy. Um thank you for for having me on. It's, it I'm really looking forward to the show and yeah, she's 10 months old today. Oh, um, wow. So definitely keeping me very very busy. If you hear any screaming or shouting, there's something gone wrong cuz she's um Currently having
0: dinner with with, with Daddy. <laughs> oh, bless her, bless her. Well, listen, we're going to talk about her later on in the show because I want your thoughts on uh, the latest FIFA potential regulations on maternity cover that they want to bring, it, bring in. So we'll discuss that later on. But we've got so much to get through today. And we're going to start by discussing an issue that has rightly been getting the attention it deserves of late and something that seems even more prevalent following yesterday's Premier League match between Arsenal and Wolves. Of course, if you didn't see it, Wolves striker Raul Jimenez had to undergo surgery for a fractured skull after colliding with Arsenal defender David Luiz, who was himself allowed to continue playing despite blood seeping through the heavy bandage that was on his head. It has again raised the question, of course, about concussion protocols not going far enough. And, and this is for all footballers, Siobhan. Alan Shearer uh, has come out and said, this is about life and death now. Uh, what needs to be done?
7: Oh, I fully agree with Alan Shearer. And it's it's interesting. You see so many ex-professional players and current professionals on Twitter, on social media, kind of on the radio today, calling out it needs to be done now. It's not about something that that needs to be looked into and potentially in six months, a year, sometime in the future, they make a decision on it. It's something that needs to be done now. It's not about, are we making the game better? Are we improving the speed of football? Are we making it more fair? It's about health. It's about safety and that's a decision that needs to be made instantly. It should have been made years ago, but it hasn't. So what, what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for, for someone to, I don't even want to say, for, are we waiting for, for for some kind of fatality before it is taken seriously? Because there have been so many serious injuries. And obviously the, the, the conversation about dementia is becoming more and more prevalent now.
0: Yeah, it is. And we'll get onto the dementia aspect of it because it is, of course, All linked, isn't it? And uh, former Tottenham and Hull defender Ryan Mason had to retire from football at the age of 26. He suffered a fractured skull and and has spent the last three years campaigning for football to improve the current protocols. Um, Have a listen to this, because he was speaking to the White and Jordan show on TalkSport earlier on today.
1: Obviously, very, very concerning. Quite upset to see something like that happen on a football pitch again. Hopefully everything's okay with him and, and his health at this moment in time is, is obviously the most important thing. Does
2: it send a shiver down your spine when you hear something like this again, Ryan?
1: Absolutely. I mean, my incident, it took a lot out of me um, and my family. And it's a real shame that football hasn't changed in the last three and a half years. Yes, there's loads of talk of certain things, but what's it really going to take for us to actually realise that that head injuries and and these types of collisions aren't okay? They're, They're dangerous. I'm not criticising the the Arsenal doctor because there's a protocol in place and I'm sure he's followed that. But that protocol that's currently in place isn't enough. It's not enough just to have two or three minutes on, on the football pitch. It's just not enough.
0: That's Ryan Mason there, former Tottenham Hull defender speaking to uh, Jim White and Simon Jordan on Talksport earlier on today and and it is just not enough Siobhan, isn't it? I mean permanent additional concussion substitutions are now set to be introduced in January. Football's lawmakers, the International Football Association board uh, announced on Monday that they're set to give trials the green light in December and then the FA will support the proposal next month with a view to implementing the trials at the earliest possible stages of the FA Cup and FA Cup, And as you were saying, why not just right now? And why only in those competitions? Does
7: that mean that those competitions mean more than others? Or does it mean they don't mean as much because we'll trial something in them? Why not just roll it out across the board? Because if something was to happen in a game where it's not rolled out and someone feels like they need to stay on the pitch because they can't afford to make a substitution or they've already made all their substitutions... What happens then? And I think you, you look at Formula One and the, the, the driver that, that survived yesterday because the halo was put in place, because somebody else had previously died because of that. And it's kind of does something that drastic have to happen before it's taken that seriously? And and I think, yeah, there's there's so many questions and I think there's only really one answer is just just do it.
0: It's interesting when you hear what Roman Grosjean said, he said if it wasn't for having the halo, which he wasn't for when it was first introduced, he said he didn't even want it in, in the sport, but essentially it saved his life. And he said it's the best innovation ever to be brought into Formula One. And then you look at what Troy Deeney, the Watford captain said on breakfast this morning. He doesn't believe as if the decisions should be taken out of players' hands, uh, that players can decide whether or not they're ready to go on. But actually, can, can any sportsman really be objective about it? They need a medical professional to to decide those things. And, you know, I, I get incredibly frustrated when uh, people think that, that it has got to be down to, to sportsmen. What do you think?
7: Oh, I completely agree that it should be taken out of the players' hands entirely. I think you've suffered a head injury which affects your decision-making and there's been evidence obviously that that shows that your spatial awareness your your visual um understanding wh- where you are your decision making everything is impacted by that so how are you expected to make a decision based around whether you are suitable whether you are capable to continue I don't think you're in a position to be able to do that I remember I was um 18 years old and I got smashed I got elbowed in, in the eye coming out for a cross And my eye swelled up so big, I couldn't see out of it by the time the physio got onto the pitch. Um, I was allowed to continue in that game. And I think two minutes later, I got another ball smashed in the face because I couldn't react to make the save because I didn't really know what was going on. It was kind of like when you've got a hood up and you have to turn all the way around to see what's behind you. That's how I felt. But yet I continued in the second half as well and played the entire game. And then later found out I had a fractured cheekbone in two places. And it's kind of, I was asked if I wanted to continue. I was a kid. I was 18 years old. I was like, of course I want to play on it if, unless I have to come off. I'm not going to come off. But there's no way I should have been allowed to stay on the pitch.
0: No, absolutely. And I think this is, this is the big problem. Are we going to be looking back in 10 years time going or even longer than that? That was insane. That was insane that that sports people were, were put through that in the first place. And brain injury charity Headway has said that any potential delay until next season is a concern. They want temporary substitutions being used, as they are in rugby union, which obviously gives doctors a good 10 minutes to assess a head injury, and they talked about the fact that there's been meeting after meeting after meeting, proposal after proposal, and yet still here we are at the end of 2020 and nothing has actually happened, which is just infuriating. And then when you listen to what FIFA had to say, FIFA's concussion expert group... Oh, it's always like some group, isn't it? It's got to go through so many layers of, of, of tape. They've said the protection of players is its main goal and that a clear and uniform approach is needed, which can operate effectively at all levels of the game. Clear scientific and football-based feedback will be collected to enable IFAB, FIFA and the expert groups to evaluate the impacts of these trials and make appropriate recommendations. But as you say you know, having those kind of meetings is, isn't is enough. And of course, Siobhan, this comes five days after a study by the University of East Anglia uh, found that female footballers heading the ball could be putting themselves at even greater risk of dementia than male players. I just want to play you the thoughts of Dr Michael Gray, who's running a project to monitor ex-footballers for early signs of dementia.
1: So we know for certain that um, there are more women with dementia in this country than, than men. So it's, if you look at the whole dementia population, it's um, 61% of the, of the dementia population are women come, compared with men. Now, in part, that's because the disease is more prevalent as we get older and, and we know that women live longer than men. But the other issue is, is that we know women experience concussion to a greater extent than do men. Um, and, and so if we put those two things together, it might make sense to say that this might be a pro- a more of a problem in women than in men. And we only know that by uh, asking people to come forward and studying the issue directly.
0: Is this something that concerned you when you were playing, Siobhan, or, or something that worries you now that might affect you in the future? I don't think
7: it's anything that I was ever concerned with because it was never really kind of brought up. In the media, it was never something that people thought about. It's probably come to the forefront of people's thoughts and social media. It's obviously very prevalent at the moment. But when I was younger, when I was playing, even even the last few years, it was never something I really thought about. I suppose as a goalkeeper, I don't have to head the ball. Um, so there's a there's a bonus to being a goalkeeper. And um, you, my mum my well, was...
0: You say that, but you're landing on the ground quite heavily regularly.
7: You are, but I think... well whatever I suppose you'll never know unless you do thorough examinations of of people's bodies um, as to what extent that that has on your body Um, but I think heading probably is the 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 key there because your brain is such a fragile organ and to have it continually pounded by a ball is is going to have some kind of impact I read somewhere there was a study where there were just in, after just 20 headers from a thrown ball, not even kicked in with any kind of pace, most players were more likely to fail a concussion test after heading 20 balls. Wow. You think about how many balls you had in a training session or a match. Like that, That's a really, it's an incredible statistic.
0: And, uh, you know, that, that they want... Female players to come forward because they haven't had any to to take part in this trial, and that's kind of crucial, isn't it? Because obviously, because of the delay within women's football and its progression, there are uh, obviously fewer female players in the system than there are men. But we really need players to come forward uh, to take part in these trials to make it better for the for the future generations. Oh, most definitely, I think. It is difficult because there aren't
7: they want players that are over forty years old that have played football regularly and the development of the women's game, there aren't as many players of that age that have played kind of full time football, that have been professional and that have probably put their body through that much. But then it could be just as beneficial to have players that haven't played as regularly, because if you see differences in players that haven't played as regularly, those that are coming into it now that have there's obviously going to be even more differences so so it's still important and even if you don't think that you've played enough to to take part in this research i'd urge everybody that that thinks they might be able to 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 kind of help with this to, to, to put themselves forward because it's such an important topic.
0: Very well said. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on this and seeing when or if the protocols are actually brought in and how that's going to affect the, the women's game. And of course, we'll keep you updated on Women's Football Weekly, as we always do. Uh, I'm Faye Carruthers. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm alongside former Chelsea and Lionesses goalkeeper, Siobhan Chamberlain. Coming up, we're talking the Lionesses and shining our spotlight on England and Manchester City goalkeeper, Ellie Roebuck. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers
7: Hi, I'm Leah Williamson from Arsenal Women and you can
6: follow the WSL on TalkSport 2.
0: This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football. I'm Faker others, and I'm with former Bristol Academy and England goalkeeper Siobhan Chamberlain. Don't forget, if you do miss any of our shows or you want to listen again on our podcast, it's available on the TalkSport app, so you can download it today and go to our podcast section. Right, Siobhan, this is right up your street because we're talking England now. I mean, it must be so difficult. The Lionesses have not had a competitive Game for goodness knows how long, uh, but they're still having their camps ahead of uh Euro 2022, a home Euros, of course. But for the players, psychologically, it must be really difficult at the moment.
7: Yeah, it definitely will be. I mean, whenever you host a tournament, you always go through that kind of unknown period where you're just playing friendlies, you've got no actual competitive matches, but kind of having it amongst a lockdown when when nothing else is going on, where you you can't really travel anywhere, the big friendlies have been cancelled, it it makes it so much more difficult. Um, I think the fact that they've been still having their training camps, they've had big squads, they've been playing into into squad friendlies, they're going to be really important. Sometimes when you're Competing when you're kind of trying to qualify for a tournament you're in a group which isn't particularly competitive and sometimes it is like going through the motions in in some matches so having these matches that they've they've had at St George's Park they had one at Stoke City on Friday where they're they're competitive they're players that are trying to prove a point they're trying to get into his squad it does make it a lot more challenging than some international matches will be. And I'm sure that's a a huge benefit to them.
0: Well, that match that you mentioned there at the Bet365 Stadium um, was supposed to be a friendly against Norway originally, but it was another England 11 versus 11 training match. It finished 8-1. Producer Flo was there. Uh, Flo Lloyd-Hughes, tell us exactly what happened.
4: Yeah, it was, it was a very one-sided game, as the the scoreline shows. It was a pretty strange experience, but I'm sure, Siobhan, you can talk a little bit about what it's like playing those sort of inter-club matches. But really feisty, really competitive. A few grazes, a few wounds. Beth England had a cut on her head and a cut on her hand, um, and she, she wasn't too worried. But, yeah, really feisty. I thought Beth England and Ella Toon really stood out, and it was really the fringe players that that shone on Friday a back three of Leah Williamson, Lottie Wobin-Moy and Millie Turner, three three players who don't usually start. And they were on the red team and they were unbelievable in a back three, which is not something we've really ever seen under Neville. And it was unfortunate for Rianne Skinner as it was her last bit of coaching duties, coaching the white team before heading off to Spurs. And yeah, they got absolutely battered. I mean, the red team even scored in the last minute. They were just relentless, but really impressive, I think, for some of the players who maybe had a point to prove for Phil Neville and hopefully it it might also give the incoming manager some ideas about some of the young, exciting talent that
0: England have. You spoke to Phil Neville as well, didn't you, Flo?
4: Yeah, I spoke to him after the game um, and he was, I think, impressed with some of the players but I don't know if that will change his plans going forward and obviously with everything that's going on it's unclear what will be left to, to play of his tenure really.
2: I was pleased with the red team, I was, I, was, I was pleased with some parts of the white team, but obviously the scoreline is the one that everybody will be looking at, but the intensity of the game was fantastic. Uh, we wanted to expose our players to to a Premier League stadium type stadium uh, against each other, to measure themselves against each other, and I think we got a fantastic game and uh, we saw some real ruthlessness from one team that we didn't see in the other. We've been in SGP now for, for the last three camps. Uh, With COVID, we don't get to spend much time outside of our bedrooms. Uh, We go to the pitch, we come back to our rooms, and and ultimately for for the team, I wanted to get them out and experience something a little bit different. Stoke being 35 minutes away. I think what we got, we, we got an unbelievable stadium close to St George's Park. We got out of St George's Park and we exposed our players to big stadiums and that's where they will be playing in the next two to three years. So uh, I think today was a, uh, we probably learnt more today than what we did by playing a, a game at St George's Park. We, we, we see it in this current climate as that we're actually lucky just to be playing football. We're lucky to be able to have a camp. We're lucky to be able to come to Stoke City or a St George's Park and have 28 to 30 of the best players in England to be able to work with so that's that's the way that I've looked at it because ultimately yes we do need competitive games and that's what we're hoping to get after Christmas uh, but but the, the whole world is suffering and I think if we start feeling sorry for ourselves by saying we should be playing this we should be playing that well do you know what we've got home Euros part of being home Euros means that we've qualified already it means that we, we, we don't have much competitive football so we have to do things like this and uh, that's the positive yeah my plans are to uh, see out my contract with the FA and to finish the journey that I set out to do uh, I, I love every minute of it, and uh, that, that's—I've—I've uh, I, I've lost three assistants. Casey Stoney went to Manchester United. Beth Priestman got the job in Canada, and now Rianne's got the, the the Tottenham job. Part of. My love for this job is to see the, the, the female coaches that I'm working with getting unbelievable opportunities. That was the one thing when I went for the job interview, I wanted obviously to be successful, but I wanted to give opportunities to female coaches and the three that I've worked with have been unbelievable and they fully deserve their, their opportunities to go and uh, be head coaches in, in outstanding jobs and all three, uh, all three are doing really well.
0: Shivon Chamberlain's with us here on Women's Football Weekly. Siobhan, did did that sound to you as if Phil Neville has perhaps helped these three women get their get their new jobs?
7: Um, that's the way it sounded. So I'm sure he'll feel that he's contributed to that to their development. I think working in an environment like a national team, especially one that's that's been so successful and ranked as highly in the world as England is, it's going to improve your your knowledge your your awareness your coaching ability everything around being a coach being a manager being in a high performance environment that that's perfect for you and for those for those three that have gone on from that role to managers it, it's a great stepping stone because they understand international football now as well as understanding club football and, and there is a really difficult balance to manage between
0: club managers and international managers mm, it's um <laughs> It's now the 30th of November and we were told that the Team GB head coach would be announced in November. Well, there's not that many hours left. Are we expecting it still? I mean, I feel like we have this conversation and have been having this conversation for, for months after Phil Neville announced he was going to be stepping down at the end of his contract. Is it going to be Phil Neville? What Do, do you know anything ear to the ground, Siobhan? I have no idea.
7: Um I'd like to see it being something fresh, just something new, something exciting. The players have been kind of stuck, as you said, in in Groundhog Day and they've been stuck in St George's Park for the last three camps. Everything's been quite monotonous, it's quite the same, it's always like I was involved in the setup for for 15 years or so and and you get into that groove of turning up playing, not saying that it's all exactly the same because everything's so different. but. To have someone come in, someone completely fresh, someone that's going to invigorate such excitement within the players, I think that's the biggest thing. It's such a short turnaround of a tournament. You're going to have players from different environments, different countries, and you need someone that's going to bring the best out of those players and, and make them enjoy football and go out there and put on good performances. And I think that's what's going to make a successful Team GB team.
0: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting as well to see who actually makes that team in the end because, you know, it certainly does feel as if the younger players are making their mark at the moment. And uh, especially with that result, 8-1, and it seemed uh, many more of the older players were on the uh, on the tonking side of that of that defeat, unfortunately. Uh, latest on the squad, by the way, just want to give you some uh, developments because Hannah Hampton, Chloe Kelly and Alex Greenwood all had to withdraw so Manchester City keeper Karen Bardsley and Manchester United midfielder Katie Zellem were brought in and then it was announced today that uh, United defender Abby McManus is also joining up uh, with the squad but I want to focus on goalkeepers Siobhan bearing in mind you are a former Lioness goalkeeper I want your thoughts on some of the youngsters coming up at the moment and every week here on Women's Football Weekly we pick a person, a club, an organisation or an event from the world of women's football to shine our spotlight on and because we've been focusing on England this week and you're with us Siobhan we're going to shine our spotlight on Manchester City and Lioness keeper Ellie Roebuck
1: If you yeah. had to choose Messi or Ronaldo who, who are you picking? Messi Messi yeah? Why yeah. is that?
5: Just so slick co- close control I think he just makes it look easy and he do not necessarily do too much defending which I think if he was on my team, I'd be fuming at. but when he can produce skills like that, he's, he's just unbelievable, he's just so cool.
1: Night in or night out?
5: Night in, I think with this lifestyle, very rarely get a night out, so I'd have to favour the night in. Um, I like Sunday night in, Sunday roast after a game. Uh, that's that's my idea of fun, I think. I think I'm the oldest 21-year-old ever if I speak to my friends, but yeah, that's what this lifestyle brought me, so.
1: And who is your footballing idol growing up?
5: I'd say I'd say Buffon. Um yeah, either Buffon or, or Peter Schmeichel. I remember seeing Peter Schmeichel at St George's Park and I was just you know, if someone kinda of has an aura about him and I've never really felt like that before, but I seen him and I was like it really like took me back and I don't get that around many people, so definitely him.
1: I know training is always quite fierce, but who always sets the standard in training for City?
5: I take Kira Wolf, She. She's got such a good footballing brain that she kind of knows situations and she's very demanding of, of standards. And I think um, she shows that on the game with the quality and stuff that that she expects that. And for me, it's great to have that expectation and it really helps push my performances.
1: And who who's kind of the nutmeg king?
5: I've, I would say Kira again. Kira loves some eggs. Kira, Kira loves some eggs and she pulls it off. And I think the gaffer goes mad because it's in Probably on the Edgerrare 18-yard box, but I'm cool as a cucumber when when it's happening because I know she's she knows what she's doing. So I'm I'm chilled. She likes can
1: just turn people inside out. So it, it's easy work for her. And when you when you're in the dressing before the game, who so who's always setting the music? Who's always who's always getting the Spotify list going or something like that.
5: Yeah, Alex is actually team DJ, but I think Jill brings out the dance moves and and really does get the atmosphere going because the dance moves are absolutely stinking.
0: I'm presuming that stinking in uh, 21-year-old lingo means good. I don't know. I'm not cool enough, Siobhan. How about you?
7: I'm not sure if you've seen Jill's dancing. I'm not sure if you'll think that's good or not.
0: <laughs> I have seen a bit <laughs> Sorry, of Jill's dance, Sorry, Jill, dancing. I love you to bits,
7: but yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was, of course, Manchester City and Lioness goalkeeper Ellie Roebuck speaking to Talk Sport 2's Bradley Hayden. I mean, she's a really cool and calm character whenever I've interviewed her, Siobhan. What have you made of Ellie Roebuck? And is she England's future number one?
7: Yeah, she is. Calm and composed is definitely something that I'd use to, to, to describe her. You see her on the pitch and she's always so relaxed, laid back and just just really chilled. Um, which I think helps her play the way Manchester City want her to play. I think they obviously have their their style of wanting to play out from the back. Goalkeepers have got to be good with their feet and got to be able to distribute really well and start attacks and and you can tell that she's been doing that from from a really young age. And yeah, the, the future of English goalkeeping looks looks really bright. You've obviously got Ellie, but you've got Sandy McKeever, you've got Hannah Hampton coming through, you've also got Emily Ramsey at Manchester United, who, who hasn't played that much, but she's got so much talent
0: that, yeah, it, it's a really exciting time for England. Mary Earps, of course, as well. And, you know, under the tutelage of, of players like Karen Bardsley and, and Carly Telford, as you say, that the future looks very, very exciting indeed. But what is it about Ellie Roebuck that perhaps stands her apart from, from, from the others? What about her game makes her a bit different?
7: Ellie's probably one of the first rounds of, of female goalkeepers that have had full-time goalkeeping coaching since they were a kid. I know I've spoken about it quite a bit. Um, Carly Telford has as well. We never got that goalkeeper coaching until we were late on in our careers. And you can tell that Ellie has had that coaching since she was a kid. She's comfortable with the ball at her feet. She's comfortable making saves. She's just a relaxed all-round goalkeeper. And I think that experience that she's got and developed at such a young age, it is fantastic. And obviously the other goalkeepers coming through, are experiencing that as well and and female goalkeepers have always suffered a hell of a lot of criticism and I think somewhat unfairly given the amount of coaching that they've had if you put someone out onto a football pitch and expect them to perform without being coached you're kind of setting them up to fail so now is the time where where goalkeepers that have been given that coaching regularly over a substantial period of time are going to start to shine.
0: Yeah, shine indeed. And the progression of the women's game is... is- you know, at pace at the moment, and very exciting to see these young goalkeepers coming through the ranks. Uh, you are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talksport too. You were just hearing the thoughts there of former Liverpool and Lionesses goalkeeper Siobhan Chamberlain. I'm Faker others. If you miss any of the show, you can catch up by downloading the Talksport app and subscribing to our podcast. You just need to search Talksport Women's Football Weekly. And coming up on the only dedicated national radio show for women's football, we're talking FIFA Best with plenty of WSL talent nominated
3: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: Women's Football Weekly with her Others. Hi, I am Gemma Davidson from Tottenham Hotspur and you're listening to the Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport Two.
0: You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football with me, Faker Carruthers, alongside former England goalkeeper Siobhan Chamberlain. Now then, FIFA has revealed the candidates shortlisted for the seven individual trophies that, we, that will be presented at the Best FIFA Football Awards Ceremony on the 17th of December. Three women's awards and, of course, the uh, Pushkas Best goal of the year as well, which features three female footballers. Uh, right, let's go through these in order, shall we? So the best FIFA women's player, Lucy Bronze, up there again. She finished third uh, last time out. She's up against uh, the likes of Penilla Harder of uh, Chelsea, um, G of Chelsea as well, Sam Kerr also of Chelsea, and Vivian Miedemar, uh from Arsenal, alongside, of course, the big names, as you'd expect, from European football. Like Delphine Cascarino of France, Caroline Graham Hansen, Norwegian, and Barcelona player, for example, Wendy Renard as well, it, it is in there. I mean, Lucy Bronze more than deserves being being in this list, doesn't she, Siobhan?
7: Ah, um, most definitely. I think this is a really difficult year to pick who's going to win this award because there's been barely any football, especially internationally. There's been no major tournament. There's there's not been big big qualifying. Matches there's there's been kind of the odd game here or there and matches have been been played behind closed doors. There's not been a lot of football to be played, so it's a difficult year to select players. So I think it's going to have to go on on club club form and consistency over the years. I think that's one of the things with Lucy is she's been consistently excellent over the past few years, and you can have players that can peak now and then for, for occasional years but but Lucy has been consistently great for both England and for for club over over the past few years
0: as has Vivian Medemar, of course who who tends to get overlooked because she doesn't tend to shout about um her achievements I mean neither does Lucy Bronze she's very humble uh, as well but actually let's hear from Lucy Bronze now because we don't get to hear from the Manchester City and England defender very often uh, let's hear what she's got to say about this nomination
6: no, yeah, of course you would enjoy it. I think anyone would be lying if they said they didn't. Um, you know, I don't play for individual awards. I don't think many people do. Um, you know, because I want, I want that World Cup. I want that Euros. I want that Olympic gold medal. Um, but obviously, it's nice to get recognition, and I'm so happy for Ellie Roebuck as well getting in the in the goalkeeper one. You know, she's a younger player who's coming through, and and she's now got that. And you know, then the other players are looking around thinking, yeah, I can, I can get up there as well. So. I see it more as, as that kind of thing rather than me going and winning it. It's like, if I can do it, girls, you know, anybody can. You just need to get your head down, work hard, like I said. Listen to what I tell you to do. But, yeah, and their talent will shine through, you know. That's that's what I'm there to do, is is to show people that it's possible. And, I mean, there's players on this team who've got more talent than I have, so why can't you do that and, and be that leading forward and go and be the best player in the world? I do like giving people orders and bossing them about, so I enjoy being captain because I like to... tell people you know get over there come on get in with me um it is enjoyable but i think yeah coaching's hopefully a long way off for me still but i would love to maybe coach i don't know the england team or something and and try and win trophies for england Uh, you know sitting on the bench as as a coach would be fantastic but we'll see in the future
0: Lucy Bronze there talking to Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Um, really interesting what she's saying there, Siobhan. I mean, humble. We did say that before we even heard from her, most definitely. But helping the young players and perhaps a future in coaching and maybe even coaching England. Big dreams
7: to go go from being one of the best players in the world to then go to, to coach your, your national team. It would be an incredible achievement. And yeah, she she's still got a lot a lot of years left in her on on the pitch, I'm sure, and she's developing into into much more of a leader. Um, you can see she Phil Neville's made her captain for um kind of when they play against the the, the other eleven in, in in some of the England v England games, and that will kind of give her the ability to to develop those characteristics and her experiences and her ability alone will shine through on the pitch. But but to be a be a strong leader and to a role model for the younger players coming through and to kind of be there for them is really important sometimes you can aspire to be like your hero and you watch them from afar and you might see them but they're not really touchable but to be able to have conversations with them for for her to help those younger players make them feel relaxed but make them feel like yeah you've got to work hard to be good is really important.
0: Yeah, and she mentioned Deli Roebuck being nominated for the, the best FIFA women's goalkeeper. She's up there alongside Anne Katrin Berger of Chelsea, Sarah Buwadi, uh Kristen Endler, uh, Hedvig Lindahl, Alyssa Nair as well. Who for you uh, tops that list? It's a tricky one with that
7: one again because there hasn't been a lot of football played. I'd probably go between Anne Katrin Berger and Endler. They've both had fantastic seasons but I think the thing that stands out for me the most is is the ages of, of those goalkeepers. You've got four out of the six are over 30. Endler is pretty much 30. She, she, she turns 30 next year. And then you've got Ellie Roebuck in there as a standalone at, at 21 years of age. And I think that tells you a hell of a lot about the calibre of, of Ellie Roebuck and how much potential she has going forward to be nominated in a category like that amongst your your peers that are a hell of a lot older than you is a fantastic achievement.
0: Incredible, isn't it? And we talked about leaders there, uh, as did Lucy Bronze and uh, the best FIFA women's coach, um, Emma Hayes, uh, of course, Chelsea women, and then Serena Wiegmann, who is head of the Dutch national team, but coming to England after the Olympics. Um, I mean, fantastic, isn't it? In in terms of of the coaches, uh, both absolutely superb.
7: Yeah definitely and it's great to see more female coaches nominated than male coaches I've got nothing against male coaches (laughs) Um, but it is great to see that that there are been opportunities given now we spoke about it earlier about more like female assistants then going into managerial roles it is fantastic to see because you can't you can't be what you can't see and people can now aspire to be managers of their national team managers of the top teams in, in England and across the world and yeah it'd be great if one one of those um coaches won won the award and it it sets a precedent for for player, for coaches coming through that yeah I want to win these awards yeah you've got to be successful with your club as Lucy said, you're not in it to win individual awards but it's a great accolade to, to be nominated for and to win.
0: And uh, three female players up for the FIFA Pushkas Award for the best goal of the year. Shirley Cruz of Costa Rica uh, for her goal in the CONCACAF Women's Olympic qualifying against Panama Sophie Ingle in for that amazing goal um, against Arsenal in the WSL and then Caroline Weir, of Manchester City, in the uh, Manchester Derby as well. Both left-footed volleys from distance, both stunning. Let's hear from a goal scorer herself, Beth England, on what she thinks of, of the uh, Pushkas Award nominees. Sophie's
5: one of my best mates there and what an unbelievable goal it was Um, I know Sophie won't mind me saying she don't score many goals but when she does they're they're usually screamers and yeah uh, I'm really proud of her I'm I'm sure she's she's extremely proud of it herself and I just hope she wins so people get voting for
0: her Now then I I teed that up saying that Beth England was talking about all three nominations but of course she was just supporting her teammate Sophie Ingle instead Uh, they were both cracking goals though Siobhan for sure and it would be wonderful to see a female winner
7: it would be. I think as a, a an ex-Manchester United player, I think if I said that Caroline Weir should win for that goal against Manchester United, I think that the United fans would absolutely hate me. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go with Sophie Ingle. I think it was a fantastic goal. She's not even left-footed and to score that volley in such a big game as well against, against Arsenal and yeah, oh, unbelievable goal for me.
0: Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And speaking of Sophie Ingle, we really need to discuss the Euro 2022 qualifiers. We won't talk too much on it, though, because if you're listening to the show later in the week, it will be out of date. Uh, But this is the latest. So Scotland need to beat Finland in their final Group D match on Tuesday to try and qualify as one of the best runners-up after their 1-0 defeat to Portugal, left them third in the table, four points behind the top two. Northern Ireland, though, under Kenny Shields, are on the verge of qualifying at the expense of Wales, despite no one giving them a chance early on after two 6-0 defeats to Norway. That 0-0 draw with Wales means a win over the Faroe Islands would mean that they qualify. Uh, right, you are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2. I'm Faker Others, alongside former Manchester United and Lionesses goalkeeper Siobhan Chamberlain. If you miss any of the show, you can find our podcast by downloading the Talksport app and searching for Women's Football Weekly. Next we'll hear from the young Birmingham City footballer who wants to become the first Muslim to play for the Lionesses. Women's Football Weekly with Fake Carruthers.
5: Hi, I'm Frank Kirby and you're listening to
0: Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. As friends said, I'm Faker Others, and keeping you company with me is former Chelsea and England goalkeeper Siobhan Chamberlain. Now then, last week we mentioned the FIFA proposals to introduce worldwide maternity regulations for female players and coaches. FIFA could impose transfer bans on clubs not meeting new standards. Uh, this is subject to FIFA Council approval in December. Siobhan, I'm sure this is something quite close to your heart. As you say, your daughter is 10 months old today. You fell pregnant? Well, playing for for Manchester United how did they handle that there and what what could maybe have been improved?
7: Manchester United were fantastic with me Um, there isn't maternity rights in female football players contracts and I think that's 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 across the board so it's great to see that FIFA and and the football governing bodies are are looking into this but Manchester United supported me throughout and kind of Added, added it into my contract so that I knew that I was secure, I knew I didn't have to worry about um, what would happen dur- during my pregnancy and that my contract wouldn't be ended or anything like that, which is a concern um, for players. You you don't know what's going to happen if, if you want to have a baby or if you find yourself pregnant, even if it wasn't necessarily planned. That There's so many questions that are unanswered and I think it does need to be kind of, discussed more openly and and not a subject that people are worried about talking about.
0: Yeah, and that's the big thing, isn't it? it, it it's not been talked about enough. I mean, I'm just wondering whether, I know that you retired in September, if these regulations had maybe been in place then, would, would your decision have been different?
7: I don't think these regulations would have changed anything for me. I think, yes, I'd have loved to have carried on playing football. I think physically, And ability-wise, I felt like I could still play at the level that I wanted to play at. But childcare-wise, supporting my daughter, um, I think a global pandemic added into the mix, it all kind of made it not really feasible. And I've been the priority in my family. I think my husband's had to bear the brunt of that over over the last five years, married to him. And I think now, well, not I think it definitely now. My daughter has to be the priority, and if that means that I have to stop playing football and kind of put that on the back burner and not not continue with that, then she's got to be my my number one concern.
0: Now I know that you're studying for a, a sports directorship, aren't you? Up up in Manchester. What 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 are your plans for the future?
7: I think for me, it's what can I give back to the game. I've had so many opportunities and so much enjoyment from playing football and I've experienced it I've probably been one of the very few to have experienced the the range from having to pay to play and being fully amateur to then playing through um, for England at, at numerous um, tournaments and then being also a professional footballer full-time for, for some of the top teams in, in the country so I've I've experienced such a wide range of experiences within the women's game that now female players coming into it kind of just go straight into being a field professional. And it's kind of what are they missing out along the way? What do they need to be protected from? How can we improve the game so that players are ready for when they retire? If players get injured, how how can they be dealt with? Are they Are they going to kind of come out of the game and have nothing to fall back on? while they're playing are they being looked after the right way there's so many questions and some teams are doing it right but not all of them and it's kind of how how can i give back and how can i kind
0: of try and make that the best for everyone involved. Brilliant. Looking forward to seeing what, what you can do for sure. I, I just want to finish on a feel-good story and I know that you'll you'll absolutely love this because the Sunday Times Sportswoman of the Year Awards were held virtually last week and I just want to give a big shout-out to 14-year-old Layla Benares. I
5: did this because I feel like there's not many people that actually look like me that are on the telly like in football and I feel like if, like, other girls don't see that like me, then they think they don't have a chance, like, to play, like, football
0: at, like, a high level. Now, this young lady is very impressive. Layla plays for Birmingham City under-16s and won the Young Inspiration Award. She's one of only a few young Muslim women playing football at her level. And she wants to inspire other young Muslim girls to take up the sport and become the first Muslim woman to play for England. Having realised that there's no guidance in place for players while they're fasting, she's now working to develop a healthy eating programme for Muslim footballers who want to train through Ramadan. Really impressive young lady. And I have to say, the youngsters are getting more more and more pre- impressive and I'm feeling more and more old Siobhan I don't know
7: about you oh well talking of feeling old you've obviously got Lauren James that's making her first um, appearance within the England senior team um, I think when she um, signed for United at the same time as I did a, a couple of years ago um, yeah I'd been alive longer than sorry I think I'd I'd played football for England before she was even born or some some, some ridiculous <laughs> statistic like that and I'm like yeah, way to make me feel old on my first day at my new club.
0: <laughs> Do you know what? It's not even just about that either. I, I just, the maturity that, that so many of them show and really wanting to come out and make a difference is amazing. And it's exactly what you were saying there. And then this is a 14-year-old a coming out and doing that. I mean, it makes me feel, feel very inferior for sure, but equally very, very proud that we have these youngsters coming through wanting to make a big difference. Listen, Siobhan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Women's Football Weekly. I hope you'll come back soon. Yes, thank you very much for having me. It's been, it's been great to be on. Well, thank you very much for being with us. Pleasure to have you. Thanks Siobhan Chamberlain, Phil Neville, Lucy Bronze, Beth England and of course to all of you as ever for listening. I'm off next week but leave you in the very capable hands of Hannah Wilkes who will be joined by Scotland and Arsenal defender Jen Beattie. And as ever, if you miss any of the show or you want to listen back to any of our lockdown specials maybe you can download the Women's Football Weekly podcast via the Talk Sport app. Next here on Talk Sport 2 is Talk Wrestling with Alex McCarthy and Will Gavin.